0: Hey, Good morning, everyone. Thanks for that. Hey, we're really glad you came out today. It is a special day to be here. Like you saw, we had baby dedications this morning, which is always a fun part of what we do around here at Four Corners to kind of congeal as a family. But also, we are over the next three Sundays, including today, beginning to get ready for Easter Sunday. It's a really big deal, as you know, for our church and really for every church around the country. And we thought it would be smart, Ben and I, To share with you just some things we could do as a church family, maybe you could do as an individual, to begin to get ready for Easter. We use the analogy kind of like you would do at home. When you have guests coming to your house, a lot of times you prepare for your guests. You kind of get your house in order. You do maybe what I do, which is go around and wipe the underneath of the toilet seat, right? Because you don't wipe that unless someone's coming over. (laughs) And you do those sorts of things. You, you know, vacuum the basement, which is where you never let anyone go, because that's really just where you and your family hang out. So We want to, over the next three weeks, make sure that we get ourselves ready for all that God wants to do in and through us as a church on Easter Sunday, which is just three Sundays from now. So besides going through just all of the ministries and making sure we're crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's, we wanted to, over the next three Sundays, during the message part of the Sunday morning experience, begin to talk about what it would look like to prepare our own hearts So besides just getting stuff ready, how do we get ourselves ready for all that God wants to do on Easter Sunday? So we're going to talk about that in just a second. But before then, (laughs) if you've been around for a while or maybe just a couple weeks and you've seen maybe in your cup holder or heard us talk about the Build Lives Capital campaign that's going on, we wanted to give you just a quick update and give you an opportunity to come out and hear some more about it. If you've not been to one of the meetings at Pastor Ben's house where he kind of explains what's going on, where we're going to be meeting in the next few months and what kind of money we need to raise and what the phases look like and what the drawings are, you've got to come out to the next meeting at Ben's house. It's on March the 27th, which I think is what? It's a Tuesday, yeah. coming up in a couple Tuesdays. So if you would like to do that, many of you marked on your Connect card last week that you wanted to do that. Take just a second right now and buy your name on the Connect card, just write Build Lives, and we'll send you an email this week letting you know how to get to Ben's house. And you're not going to come there and be asked to give money on the spot. We just want to share with you what the vision is that we feel that God's called us to do. It's really cool. Last week, we got the keys to the new facility. And uh, while it's kind of stripped bare inside of there and it's dusty and concrete mostly, it's super exciting, isn't it?
1: It, It's very exciting. Um, Build lives for us is more than just about a building, although obviously we have to have a building to meet in. It really is about what God has called this church to, to build lives. And so uh, it may sound like double duty for a second, but as we get ready for Easter, we want God to do his full work in us, but we know that it isn't stopping on the Sunday we celebrate his resurrection Sunday or Easter. There's a continual work of God in our congregation, and we're trying to be fully prepped for that. So again, if you haven't been to one of those meetings at my house, please come. Let us serve you some cheap pizza and water (laughs) and uh, talk to you about the vision that God has put in our hearts. A couple hundred of you have already come, and i want to tell you we're so proud of you. This church, it's our first time to really step out this way in an aggressive way to raise money, and you guys have stepped up. And so uh, in the next few weeks, probably the week or two after Easter, we'll share with you the anticipated timeline, uh, where we are exactly financially. Uh, You're going to absolutely love it.
0: Yeah, so as I said, we're going to spend the next few minutes here talking with you about how you can and how we can as a congregation get our hearts ready for what God wants to do here on Easter Sunday. And today is a pretty simple point of the Christian walk or the Christian lifestyle or becoming a Christian. In fact, we want to talk to you today just about salvation and what it means, what it is and what it isn't, and maybe how, if you haven't already decided you want to make Jesus the leader and Lord of your life, we can give you some clarity today on what that exactly means in a way that you maybe haven't heard before.
1: Yeah, it's possible that you're our guest today. We're so glad that you're here. You may have come, though, thinking that perhaps we had an agenda for you. You know, churches always have an agenda. And we wanted to give you truth in advertising. We do. In fact, over the next three weeks, our hope is that every single person who is thinking about becoming a follower of Jesus, becoming a Christian, getting saved, putting their faith in God, we hope that every one of you who are thinking about that goes ahead and does that. And so we're going to spend a few weeks to talk about what it looks like, why it's a big deal, why this church spends so much time focusing on it, how it's the beginning of a journey and ultimately not the end of a journey. We're going to focus on those things, but today our real hope is that we would deal with really some of the very big obstacles and the questions people have about faith, about coming to Jesus. I know some of you came today, and as it relates to your walk with God, you don't have one. In fact, the brakes are on. you got both feet on the brakes Now, around here in this church you should know that you aren't alone your story isn't unique there's a lot of us in this room that began our journeys somewhat reluctantly in fact many of us didn't begin with any intentionality at all we were adults who had questions doubts conflict obstacles we had real intellectual barriers to our faith many of us in this room and yet something happened a dramatic shift took place And people surrendered their lives to Jesus. You're probably not sitting but maybe 10 to 15 feet from one of those people right now who in the last seven years since this church has been operating committed their lives to Jesus. They said, I want to reorder my life around the things that Jesus talked about. I want to set my priorities according to his priorities. And I want to do that because I believe he is the savior of the world. So if you've come today and you're thinking, I have too many questions. I don't know enough, I'm not sure, I'm not ready, I've been hurt, somebody disappointed me, Christians are hypocrites. If any of those things fit you or any number of other opportunities to think about your faith and it's not moving forward, well, you're in the right place.
0: We know that it's really not a good agenda or a realistic expectation to think that we're going to try to talk you into becoming a Jesus follower today. In fact, we're not even going to try to talk you into it. We just want to share with you what has been our experience and what we've seen other people do over the last seven years in the life of our church. And really, even before that, Pastor Ben's been doing ministry ever since he was really just a little kid. He taught a lot of my Sunday school classes as I was growing up. If you didn't know, we're brothers. I know it's hard to tell because I'm so much better looking. But <laughs> And so we've just kind of had a lot of experience with this. Ben's been doing it for about 60 years now. I've been doing it for about 25 <laughs> And we just want to share with you our hearts. So it is our agenda, but it's not our, we're not going to try to talk you into it. We just want to share with you so that maybe if you came with those obstacles today or those questions today, we can help you begin to get around some of those. And if you have some, they probably sound like some of the obstacles we've seen other people have, and really some of the ones I had myself, and I know Ben's had some of these as well. I know one of the primary obstacles to people deciding they want to follow Jesus or get saved or make Jesus the leader and Lord of their lives is really because of the way that other Christians act. There are a lot of people in the world, in our own community, across the country and across the world, that just give Christians a bad name. And if you're a normal-minded person who has a brain at all, you can look at the way they act and talk and react to different situations, whether they're political or social, and it's easy to just think, I don't even want to be associated with those kinds of people. That's, that's a pretty common obstacle these days to making a decision to follow Jesus.
1: Some people say, Greg, I know Christians, and I'm actually living more moral than some of the ones I know. So if they're Christian, I don't really need that.
0: Yeah, and that's that's a valid obstacle. It's a valid reason why you don't want to decide to put your faith and trust in Jesus. Some of you might be sitting here, and you've decided that you're not going to make Jesus the Lord and leader of your life because of the way you were raised. Maybe you were raised in a Christian home, and it was somewhat... Um, abusive, maybe not all the way abusive, but just not managed well, and you saw how your parents did it, and you don't want to have any part of that. Or maybe you were raised in a home that wasn't at all Christian, and it went pretty well. I mean, life happened well. Finances were good. Relationships worked out well. Your mom and dad had a pretty good situation, and you don't really feel like there's any need for you to have Jesus in your life. And in fact, you might think that Christianity is really just a crutch for people who are already following Jesus. We've heard that. Yeah. It might also be, though, that you just have a lot of questions. Maybe not your past experience, but maybe you just have a lot of questions. Like one of the common questions is the why question. Why, why do bad things happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why, do, why does evil exist in the world? Or why do bad things exist in the world? Or maybe it's more personal than that. Maybe it's a personalized why. Maybe it is, God, why did you let my parents separate when I was just a kid? Or God, why did you let my mom die when I was growing up? Or God, why did this bad thing happen to me? And why was I abused, God? Why, why did you let me go through that life experience? That's a legitimate obstacle to becoming a follower of Jesus. There's nothing wrong at all with that obstacle. In fact, you should carry that obstacle and that, que- that question, why, in your mind. And today, we're not going to try to talk you out of that question. In fact, we're going to try to help you get around that. It could also be that maybe you just have some challenges, some obstacles with some different points of theology that you know are true in Christianity. I mean, there's a lot of things that Christians say they believe, whether you're a Baptist or a Catholic or a Pentecostal or a charismatic. There are a lot of different things that people say they believe, and maybe you just, because you have intellectual integrity, maybe you just can't believe some of the things that you think you have to believe to become a Christian.
1: Greg, a few weeks ago, I was chatting with somebody who hasn't yet decided to follow Jesus, not sure he's going to, and his big obstacle was this whole idea of Jesus dying for everybody else's sin. It didn't seem fair to him. It didn't make sense to him, and how would that death of Jesus be applied to everybody that would want to receive it? He couldn't make the math work in his head. Major obstacle for him. Here's another obstacle some people have. Why so much suffering in the world? Why so much suffering? Here's one more. The notion that maybe you don't care at all. You, you don't think it's that big of a deal. It's not even on your active radar. You've put that off until you get into your 50s or into your 60s. But now that you're in your 20s, in your 30s, it doesn't seem urgent at all. So there's a whole host of reasons that you have. And we think that as you plod through your spiritual journey, what your issues are, they're your issues. They're good reasons for you. And as Greg said, we're not trying to take away your obstacles or questions, what we want to do is raise another truth, raise a different reality up high. See, things between you and becoming a Christian are real, and it would be foolish for you to ignore them, and it would be foolish for us to think that we could just get you to sign on the dotted line and go ahead and check your intellectual integrity at the door and go ahead and follow the herd here. That's not what we want you to do at all. We, in fact, we love the mind. We think God created it. We think that the things that you've experienced in life God can even use and has used in other people's lives those very obstacles sometimes to open up realities and truth to us.
0: In fact, our observation has been this. If we were having this conversation, you and I or you and Ben, and we weren't sitting in a room where this is a sermon that you're getting today, if we were just sitting at lunch across the table from each other and we were talking about faith and why you haven't decided to put your faith in Jesus and and what your obstacles are, we would talk through those things and... Maybe he or I would try to give you some answers to your questions or talk to you about your obstacle, or maybe we'd point you to a book or a sermon you could listen to online that would help you work through that. Our experience has been that even if we were to have that conversation personally, and even if we were to try to answer your questions, the reality is many of you, in fact, most of you still wouldn't decide after that lunch conversation, put your faith and trust in Jesus because often what we've seen is that adults don't put their faith and trust in Jesus because they get their questions answered. In fact, the people sitting close to you right now who are following Jesus, who are saved, who are Christians, many of them still have similar questions to the ones that you have sitting here today.
1: Yeah, it's really not as we've experienced it, as we've seen it in dozens and dozens and dozens of people over the last seven years. It's really not about getting your questions answered that makes somebody cross the line of faith. Something else happens. What happens, just to put it bluntly, is is the questions become less important. They're still there. In fact, it might surprise you that I still have questions about certain components of the Christian faith. In fact, every believer I know still has questions. It's not that their questions disappeared or that every hurdle was was mounted. What happened, though, is those issues, obstacles and questions became smaller and something else became greater. Often what happened was something happened in their life. For instance somebody got sick somebody was on the verge of death somebody they loved was going through a rough time and this person who said i'm not even sure i believe in god i don't even know that i believe he exists found themselves bargaining with the god they didn't even believe in they were having a a waiting room prayer meeting with just them and god And that began a journey. Some people have said, I I didn't even believe in God, but I was challenged. It would be foolish for me to say I don't believe, and I've never even really read the Bible. So in an attempt to be intellectually honest, they began to read the Bible. And as they read it, it wasn't that all their questions were answered, and they found out this one thing, and how did Noah do the ark thing, and does an axe head float, float, and what about the resurrection? That's not what happened. But as they read the Bible, they began to get a sense that fundamentally, it's true. It was true for them. And so what happened was, not that their questions disappeared, but their questions got smaller. And something else got larger. All of a sudden, the idea of a personal God became real to them. Somebody said, I was an addict, and I realized I couldn't do it on my own. I'd been doing that. And in the middle of my pit, when I had hit the bottom, I found a God there. And My questions are still there, and my challenges are there. Sometimes my addiction is still there. But there was God as well.
0: And if you have not decided that you want to become a Christian, you're probably thinking right now, well, that's exactly what I thought. Most people come to Christ because, like I said earlier, it's, it's just a crutch. And so they had something bad happen in their life or they needed God, and so they decided they would turn to him because they didn't have anywhere else to turn. And so you might be thinking that somehow it's a logical fallacy in their way of thinking, and, and it's really not real and there's really not sustenance to it it's just something they decided to do emotionally but the reality is all of us in the room use that same kind of experience have had that same kind of experience in life a lot of times in life we go into a certain situation where we have questions or doubts or obstacles and yet we jump full force right into the thing that we had questions and doubts and obstacles about
1: yeah, one of those, Greg, if you're a man in the room and you're married, if you're a man in the room and you think about married, let's talk about, for instance, reasons not to get married. You ready to do this for a second? Because here's what happens, guys. A lot of us, you know, we get married, and yet if we were to sit down and make a list like we're about to do here in a reason in, in a moment, it makes no logical sense to get married at all. For instance, here's one. Um, if you get married, you're going to lose your freedom. I mean, let's just be honest.
0: That's the truth. Uh,
1: you're going to give up some freedom. So some people, when they're making their list of why not to get married, they come up with, I don't want to lose my freedom. Here's another one. It's the commitment issue. I don't want to get committed. I like living foot free and fancy. I like being, I don't know if that's That's not how it goes, how does it go? We know what
0: you mean. <laughs> foot loose and fancy foot free. Foot loose
1: and fancy free. Wow, you got to make sure you type accurately yeah, or you miss, you definitely you miss the do. metaphors. All right, I don't want to give up my freedom. <laughs> uh, you know, the other day I was doing the, uh, the series on sex and Greg took my message and chopped up the various phrases and re-put them together and made it sound like I was giving a talk where I was endorsing pornography. <laughs> it's une- it, I'm surprised, but I, I don't want to see what you're going to do with this message here. Yeah, so
0: a lot of people, <laughs> we're just, I'm going to get right back to the point. No, go ahead. A lot of people have, um, have obstacles, and again, we're using the analogy of marriage, and if you're a guy, you can probably relate to this. So you don't want to give up your freedom. You, don't, you have an obstacle around this idea of being committed. Could be that you know. Like I did when I was 20 years old and got married, I don't have the money to get married. Yeah. In fact, when I went to my dad and said, hey, I'm going to be getting married, he said, no, you're not. I said, well, yeah, yeah I am. He said, well, what are you going to do? Because you, don't, you, don't, you make like $3.50 an hour. How are you going to buy food? How are you going to pay your rent? It's a legitimate obstacle, but I didn't really care that much about it. I was, I was going to get married anyway, and we figured God would send us the money. Maybe, maybe the obstacle for you is you know other people who are married,
1: and you say, if that's what marriage yeah. is like, I don't want anything to do with that. And so you look at the state of marriage, look at somebody you know, and you go, uh, that's not for me. Some of you think, I don't want to get married, or you thought this, guys, because I'm too young. I'm too young. And then my favorite one is, uh, what if I meet somebody else? I mean, what if I get married, and like a year later, there is the woman of my dreams. What if I get married, and at the reception, in walks, the woman I should have right. married? What if she shows up, and oh my goodness, it's too late? See, there's a whole lot of reasons not to get married just like there are a whole lot of reasons you have and in, to some degree they're logical they make sense they have value to you but let me ask you men who are married did did these things stop you from getting married or, or did these things in fact most men I know now you might be the exception I don't know everyone most men I know did not make a list and go here's my list Freedom, uh, I'm going to think through that one. Art. Check, commitment, I'm checked. They, they didn't make a checklist, and when all the check boxes got filled, they decided, now I'll get married. Most men didn't operate that way. Something else happened that shifted the scale, that made the obstacles and questions and barriers shrink and made marriage more of a reality. And here it is. You Ready? Turn that slide, gentlemen. There it is. Sex. Right. No. So today we
0: want to talk to you
1: now. No. <laughs> no, no, we're, we're, we're really, we're just kidding. this is Baby Dedication Sunday. We're just kidding, it. guys. That's not what happened. What happened was, here's the real reason, you fell in love. You fell in love. And when you fell in love, your obstacles didn't immediately go away. You didn't immediately win the lottery and get all the money you need. You didn't instantly become 50 years old and old enough. And you didn't instantly have a different perspective about all the other marriages. What happened was you fell in love. And your questions and obstacles and challenges were still there, but all of a sudden, they were smaller because your
0: love was there. And when you got married, the thing that made the love real is you never fell in love with the idea of being married, most of you, if you're healthy. You fell in love with a person. You fell in. I fell in love with Amy. Ben fell in love with Jill, and you fell in love with whatever your spouse's name is, and Because of the personalized nature of that love, the obstacles, like Ben said, they became smaller, less significant. They didn't disappear. You still went into your marriage with the same questions and concerns. I still went into my marriage wondering how we're going to pay for rent. And so we paid for it with Visa, which was stupid. I think we're still paying for it. (laughs) The obstacles didn't disappear. I didn't have an answer to all the questions. I fell in love with Amy, and I wanted to marry her, a very personalized her that I wanted to begin a relationship with.
1: And when, when that happened, those questions still there, they shrink. Now, Now, ladies, we talked to men. Let me give ladies one we want to back in quite as fully. But you ever think about the reasons not to have a child? I mean, you do realize um, it's dangerous, right? I mean, historically, this has been a number one reason why women didn't live for long. Um, your body goes through changes. And in fact, it could be that your body would never be the same. And did I mention kids are expensive? I think I've talked about that. Jill and I have been working through our budget. It's very front on my mind. So if you went through the logical reasons about why to have a baby and should you have one or not, well, there's a lot of obstacles, a lot of challenges. But the truth is, is that your questions, though they're still valid and real, when you think about having a baby, mom, what happens? Those questions shrink because there you've got that child. And all of a sudden, this reality, this personal baby that you're looking at, the hope of the child, all of a sudden, all those very real obstacles and all those very real challenges become smaller in the light of this larger reality.
0: Yes. Yeah, so the point is, there are a lot of situations in life where you might have questions and obstacles, and yet you jump into those headlong in a way because what you're jumping into is a very personal thing. You have a personal baby with a name. You have a wife or a husband who has a name. And because of your love and the relationship you want to have with that person, the obstacles and questions become a lot less important. And so we've all done that in our lives. And the reality is, that we've not just done it. There are stories all throughout the Bible where this principle is true. And so if you have your Bibles and you want to open them, you can open your Bible to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the New Testament, the four stories of Jesus. And look at, starting at verse number 43, and we just want to point out to you a story that happens in that gospel where someone, not unlike what we're asking you to do today, has a personal experience with Jesus. They actually come to him, the story shows us, with questions and reservations, and yet after they have this personal interaction with Jesus, the question and obstacles they have becomes minimized in their mind, and they go ahead and begin following Jesus jesus as their savior and lord
1: so john one here's what's happening jesus has been going around and calling his followers and in the context of calling his followers just ordinary people living ordinary lives having ordinary journeys but invited into an extraordinary relationship this story emerges so john chapter one verse 43 the next day jesus decided to leave for galilee now galilee is kind of like the district that he's from and he found philip or finding philip he said to him follow me Now, Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael, and here's the key principle today. Philip found Nathanael, he's our player, and told him, listen, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law. Hundreds of years ago, the one we've been anticipating, we found him. This is it. And the one about whom the prophets also wrote. So the Old Testament, their Bible, the guy that it's all about, the one it anticipates, we found him, Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph. Now, here's what's interesting. Nazareth. We don't really know why, but all throughout history, Nazareth has had this, like, uh, well, just a bad reputation. Bible scholars don't really know why that is, like what happened there, what, what stigma was attached to that place, but there was this general slogan, and it went something like this. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, it, it, I, I don't know where you're from. Where I'm from, I was raised mostly in Cleveland, Tennessee, which is a bit of a podunk, redneck town. But we had Benton, Tennessee. They had one red light. And all bad things we attached to Benton. If somebody cut you off in a parking lot and got the spot before you, they must be from Benton, right? If somebody was rude to you in a store, it must be from Benton. I mean, that was just the way, this is kind of the way it was with Nazareth. And so they've gone to Nathaniel and said, we found the one. Now, this would be like, let me just put, it be like if your best friend, your mom, somebody had cancer, like maybe colon cancer, and they came to you and they said, uh, we found the cure for colon cancer. I mean, instantly your hopes would go like through the roof, right? I mean, somebody you trust that came to you and said, we have found the cure. And the cure is, and you knew about where the, where the answer should be, the cure is located, the cure comes from, and you would expect them to say something like Harvard University or, or, or Emory or Duke or Cleveland Clinic. But they said, no, 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 it, it came from Podunk General Hospital
0: or from um, Benton, Tennessee.
1: Benton, Tennessee. <laughs> right. The cure for, for colon cancer is found in Benton, Tennessee. And you just... It would instantly deflate. So here's Nathaniel, and he's being told the greatest thing the world has ever anticipated is found, but it comes from Nazareth. So in verse 46, he says, Nathaniel, Nathaniel says, Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asks. And then Philip says, And here's what we're asking you to do come and see.
0: Yeah, so here's the story again. You've got Jesus, he's called to Philip and Andrew and Peter and said, Follow me. But then Philip goes to his buddy Nathaniel, who isn't around when Jesus is around. Jesus isn't even in the picture when Nathaniel and Philip are talking. And Philip says, Hey, you gotta come follow Jesus. This guy, he's the one wrote Moses wrote about. He he is the Messiah, is the implication. And he's from Nazareth. And as soon as he said it, he had to be thinking, Oh, I shouldn't have said that, because now I've just undone all the things I was trying to talk uh, Nathaniel into. And Nathaniel has a response, like Ben said, Nazareth, can anything good at all come from Nazareth? And Philip, instead of saying, yeah, some good things do come from Nazareth, and here's the situation or story I could explain to you and undo your reservations about Nazareth. Instead of trying to answer the questions or get around the obstacles, what, what Philip says is just, hey, why don't you just come and see? Come and see for yourself who this person is, who this Jesus is. And so what happens in verse 47 is they end up going to see Jesus, Philip and Nathaniel do, and the Bible says, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit.
1: Right? I love this verse because in this verse we get a sense that the Bible affirms your intellectual honesty. I mean, here is Nathanael with questions and doubts. And Jesus says of him, here's a man in whom there is no deceit. If you're on a journey, if you have questions and obstacles... Again, we're not asking you to check those at the door and just sign on the line. We're asking you, however, instead of that, instead of letting that be the only reality, come and look. Come and see Jesus. Come and consider a different possibility.
0: Yeah, and Jesus hadn't even met Nathanael. So this interaction that Jesus just had with Nathanael where he said, Hey, here's this guy, and in him there is no deceit. It surprised Nathanael. And we know that from verse 48, which says, When Nathaniel talking, he says, how do you know me? They've never met before. Philip was the one who went and got Nathaniel. And Nathaniel says to Jesus, how do you know me? And there's something in that interaction that made him realize, hey, this guy is more than natural. There's something different here. He shouldn't know anything about me. He shouldn't know my name. He shouldn't know the kind of person I am. He shouldn't know I'm the kind of person in whom there is no deceit. And Jesus answered him and said, I saw you while you're still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And so there's like this aha moment. There is this personal interaction between Jesus and Nathanael where Nathanael realizes there's something important going on here. And the last thing he's thinking about now is the Nazareth thing. The last thing he's saying now is, well, well, what about Nazareth, Jesus? You're from Nazareth, and there's no way that you could be special or unique or anything good could be coming from Nazareth. That's not at all what he says. In fact, what he says is in verse 49... Then Nathaniel declared, let's talk about this Nazareth thing. No, that's not at all what he said. What he said is, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. He had this personal interaction with Jesus, and he had this aha moment where it was more than just a set of questions he needed to have answered before he could follow him. And Jesus said to him, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that.
1: You know, I, I love the way Jesus concludes his interaction with Nathaniel because he says to Nathaniel, look, you've had this thing and now all of a sudden your questions, your your obstacles have gotten smaller and you think that's pretty amazing. But I want to tell you this this life with me, you're going to see much greater things than that. It's why we take Easter so seriously. We know that there are people that you know who most likely won't darken the doors of this building as a church. And if they're ever going to, it's going to happen on a Sunday like Easter. Because everybody knows you go straight to hell if you don't go to church on Easter. And you should tell them that so that they'll, they'll come here. No, we're kidding. But they are more likely to come. And we also know that if you will invite your friends, even the ones who have significant obstacles, the ones who can argue the best, have the most theologically you know, um, defeating kinds of arguments. I mean, they hold theological kryptonite and everything they talk, you just feel defeated. We know that even those people, if you would invite them, they would likely come on Easter. And we have this heart for them. We have this desire that says to them, we want you to have a beginning encounter with God. But we know that that is literally just the beginning. There's so much more, that they can't even yet fathom because the obstacles are still large. So what we're wanting to do is make sure, first of all, that each person in this room has a clear understanding that your obstacles, you don't have to get them all checked off before you begin a relationship with God. And if you're in a relationship with Jesus, the friends you have, the ones that you're a little hesitant to talk to, the ones that you know are going through a challenge, they don't have to have all their obstacles checked off either before they can begin. The primary thing that needs to happen is they need to have a personal encounter with God. Like I have a personal love with Jill. Like you have a personal love with your child. We believe that a personal encounter with God will make their obstacles take appropriate scale. And then God can take appropriate scale as
0: well. Yeah, and so if you're sitting here today and you haven't decided to put your faith and trust in Jesus because you have questions or obstacles we want to invite you in just a moment through Next Bold Steps to maybe pray a little prayer over the next five to six days and consider a slightly different perspective. But if you're, also if you're sitting here and you're following Jesus, but sometimes you come to those points in life where you're a little unsure because the questions raise their ugly head again or you're confronted in a more real, uh, in, a, in a reality with the obstacles that you first had before you decided to follow Jesus, we want to let you know that that's normal and that's okay And it's okay if between now and the day you die, some of those questions never get answered. We still want you to pursue answers. We still want you to do Bible study. We still want you to dig deep and find out all that you can and get all the questions you can't answer. But the reality is all of us are probably going to go to our grave with some questions and some obstacles that don't get answered. And that's perfectly okay. We don't want you to wonder about whether or not you have security in Christ because you still have questions. We're here to let you know today that it's okay you're on board. He still loves you. He's big enough to handle your questions and the obstacles that you think lie in the way.
1: Yeah. And so we're going to give you one more verse. It's found in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 through 38. It's a principle. It's a verse that maybe you've heard if you've been around church at all. Jesus was asked, what is the top? Like, what is the greatest thing we should know? What is the highest commandment? And here's what he said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Here's what God wants you to know. God wants you to love him more than he wants you to understand him. There is this personal connection. He wants to have a relationship with you even more than he wants you to get it all figured out. You don't have to do that. And yet still pursue Read the books. If you have challenges, talk to one of our pastors. Talk to your small group leader. There are resources that can help you begin to put pieces together. We believe that the Christian worldview, a biblical worldview, is complete. And it is, it is um, theologically consistent. It is intellectually honest. But if you're not there, keep struggling. But even that alone isn't what brings you and holds you to God. He wants you to love him more than he wants you to understand him and the second thing is is god wants you to know him more than you know the answers to your questions god wants you to know him more than you know the answers to your questions what this means is he's not looking just for intellectually honest people although he values that he's not looking for people that have it all together intellectually he's looking for people that have a desire to know him so we're going to take a few steps together now as a congregation, if you're our guest today, this is the place at which you pull back out that connect card, and you keep it on the front side, and we, as a congregation, don't want to just be stirred, we want to actually move forward, and so we put some feet to our desires through this action today. Here's next step A for some of us in the room. I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior for the very first time. Like, if if you've been thinking, and as we've been talking, you have sensed, not your questions disappearing but a shrinking of their importance and an elevating of what God has been going and doing in your life, then maybe you're right at this point. And the next step for you isn't cataclysmic and it's not earth shattering in the sense that it makes, you know, the worlds come together and everything is crystal clear. It's cataclysmic because your very next step is the obvious one. God is in front of you calling you and he wants you to be in a relationship with Him. he wants you to know him more than you know the answers to your question. That's you check the box in a moment we're going to pray and then as you check the box and turn the card in later in your offering bucket we're going to contact you not in a threatening way or not in an aggressive way but through an email and through a letter that says here's some things you can do next step B I want to get baptized in a couple of weeks we're going to have baptism around here it's an amazing celebration we have several adults who have said they want to go public with their faith if that's you check the box next step C this is going to be some of us in the room today I have clarity and I now know, or I know that I have a personal relationship with Jesus and I'm saved. Listen, if you've been walking with God for 20 years or literally for just the last 30 seconds, you can check this box. We want you to know with certainty that Jesus is committed to you. And when you put your faith in him, that's like super glue. I mean, you're tight. The enemy would like to come alongside you and whisper in your ear, there's something wrong. But your relationship with God is Stable doesn't come and go as your emotions do so this is an opportunity for you to just take a step and affirm what God has already declared about you you're his child because you put your faith in him you've said to him God I want you to forgive my sin I want to make you the leader or the Lord of my life my savior forgiver and the leader or Lord of my life check that box and just declare to yourself I'm with God here's next step D my questions are still big but I want to pray this prayer it's a bold prayer Heavenly Father, I want to know you more than I want to know the answers to my questions. If you're still on the fence and you aren't yet ready to commit your life to Christ, I challenge you to pray this prayer this week. Pray it a few times. Heavenly Father, I want to know you more than I want to know the answers to my questions. We believe that God who loves you will begin to reveal himself to you. And your questions may still be present, but he will be present writ large in your life now but guys before you show next step E we are getting ready for this big massive move coming in the fall and you guys are like giving aggressively but this next step is an invitation for some of us in the room as you feel God calling to step up so next step E here's what it says I want to bring a special Easter offering to help prepare my church to reach more people with the message of our Savior we have amazing amounts of commitments enough to pay for all the construction but the money's coming in over time. This is an invitation for you to step up if you'd like or maybe to accelerate the completion of your commitment or maybe give a special offering. If you'd like to do that, it will help us that much quicker get into our space. So a lot of us are gonna be doing that. For Jill and I, we're looking at our income tax return. We want to make sure that more people get to know about the message of Jesus. We wanna get in our new home and use that as a base of operations. If you feel God tugging at your heart about this, please respond. If you don't, no guilt. All right, we don't peddle in guilt around here. Let's pray, and then we're going to do a little bit more worship together. Lord Jesus, God, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't take away my questions. You just became more real. And the reality of who you are began to overshadow everything else. God, I pray for those of us in this room who haven't yet put their faith in you. They haven't become a Christian. They haven't gotten saved. Lord, our prayer is that today, next week, the following week, that God, they would do real business with you. That they would pray the prayer. God, I want to know you more than I know the answers to my questions. And there would be an openness in them to receive. God, we want to get our house in order in preparation for the celebration of your resurrection. We also, God, want to be crystal clear to anybody that may walk into this room that you are available, that you change lives, you forgive sins, you set destiny, you make dreams. And we want to be about your work, Father. We pray it in the powerful and holy name of Jesus. Amen and amen.